Welcome, folks, to uh, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. This is, in fact, Steve Adubato. You're listening to us on AM 970, um, the premier radio station coming out of New York City and uh, Lower Broadway, if you will, in the heart of uh, the Wall Street area. I am joined by my colleague at uh, our company, Stand and Deliver. This is Mary Gamba, who is Vice President of Marketing, the Head of Business Operations, Client Development. Do you have any other titles? No, but you can keep going as long as you want. Just keep going. It's good. Do you, do you get paid for each one of those titles? Yes. No, I, oh, I, I don't? I oh. didn't think you were, but uh, <laughs> we'll negotiate off air. By the way, uh, Lessons in Leadership is the name of the book that I wrote that really spawned this Leadership Hour on AM 970 and the uh, follow-up podcast. I wrote this book, took a couple of years, Mary and our great team work with me. I coach and uh, train people in the area of leadership and communication, do executive coaching seminars. Mary actually makes that happen every day and organizing it. Uh, Mary, how would you describe the leadership hour? It is an hour packed with great tips, tools for the first half hour, getting into state of affairs with Steve Adubato for the second half hour. So all conversations with and about great leaders, great tips, tools about communication, presentation skills, you name it. By the way, yeah, as Mary mentions, the second half hour, the first half hour is all about practical tips and tools about leadership challenges we face, uh, the obstacles that we face, what we've learned from uh, the situations we've been in as leaders. But the second half hour is, in fact, a series that we do on public broadcasting with our partners at NJ TV out of their studio. It also airs on some other stations. But more importantly, it is airing on AM 970 because we are interviewing leaders in government and business and academia who matter in the state of... New Jersey, which never has traffic, does it, Mary? Never any traffic in New Jersey. It's just traffic-free, 24-7. Why have the leaders of the traffic situation not solved it? I think that we <laughs> should start flying everyone by helicopter to the office. It should just be a state requirement. If you're the governor, you can do that. Yes. In no other state can you—it takes about triple the amount of time that it would ordinarily take in another state. But AM970 deals with traffic uh, on other programs. We're not going to yes. deal with it here. And hopefully on a Sunday at 2 p.m., hopefully everyone listening is not in any traffic Unless right now. Unless you're going down the Jersey Shore, which is uh, absolutely beautiful. That is also another topic. Mary, let's talk about some of the things we want to talk about today. Engaging presentations that leaders, great leaders, don't just do data dumps. They don't just present PowerPoint one slide after another. They deliver engaging presentations that connect with people. What do we mean by that? Well, when it comes to engaging and connecting with people, whether you're in one-on-one -on -one conversation or if you're at a podium talking to a 1,000 people, it is about making that human connection with your audience, whether of one or a 1,000 people. So it's being seen as relatable. It's being seen as speaking to your audience in language that they'll understand, using words that they'll understand, and not doing, as you would said, a data dump or thinking that you could throw up a whole bunch of slides in a PowerPoint and it's going to make you successful. I'm curious about this, and I've been coaching and training folks in communication leadership for more than a few years. Why do you think so many people in quote-unquote leadership positions, superintendents of schools, principals of schools, uh, heads of colleges, if you will, people who run nonprofits, people who are head of the, the, the finance department in a company, whatever, lawyers, CPAs, bankers, all kinds of people, why do so many people have such a difficult time dealing with the idea of, quote, making a presentation. You're in a leadership position. It's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be competent at it. Why are so few? 
I'd have to say I think a lot of it is many people who fear public speaking are afraid of being judged by their audience. They're afraid that somebody in their audience is going to look at them and either think that they're not communicating clearly or the information that they're sharing is not relevant to them. So I think that for a lot of folks, it may go back to maybe a time in their childhood when they had to give a presentation in front of the third grade and somebody laughed at them because they stumbled over a word. Or they, I remember a story where a kid dropped. I remember a client told me this. Sorry for interrupting. I said, why are you so nervous about this? You know, I just get up and give a three-minute presentation. He said, when I ran for president of the student body as a junior in high school, I dropped all my car, my index cards for my presentation, and the kids were laughing, and when I went to pick them up, they were out of order, and I ran off the stage crying. That will leave scars. That leaves huge scars. That leaves scars that are so hard. Those things that happen in our childhood, whether it's dropping of the index cards or just forgetting your place while you're speaking or being in a school play. I remember those that feeling it was cringeworthy of being on stage in front of your peers and and feeling, even if it wasn't happening, feeling like people are laughing at you. And instead, you need to switch your mindset and realize that the audience is there. They're hoping for your success. They want you to, a good, to do a good job, and they're rooting for you. Yeah, you know, Mary and I have talked about this for years. We believe that public communication uh, – by the way, if you want to find out more, go on our website, stand Deliver.com, free articles on presentation skills, how to become a more engaging and conversational presenter. Uh, Stand-deliver.com. Follow me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And on Facebook, Mary? Steve Adubato, Ph.D. Yeah, so here we go. We believe that leaders must be competent, engaging, and effective presenters now. That does not mean you have to be Dr. Martin Luther King or, or Ronald Reagan or amongst the greatest speakers of all time. But you have to connect. And what we argue is, I often call it, okay, so let me, let me try, picture this if you're listening to us on AM 970 or on the podcast. I argue that for every one of us, as we have a presentation, you get to what I call the fork in the road. You ever hear me say this? Oh, yeah. No, I have. So there's a fork in the road. One fork, one, one road is, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm going to screw up, I'm really afraid of what's going to happen, oh my God, I might lose my place, uh, what about the PowerPoint doesn't work, what if, what if, what if, what if, mm -hmm. that's the what if road. I don't like that road. The other road, which we argue people should go on is, I really want to be helpful road. Well, what do you mean I want to be helpful? I want to share valuable information. I want to make a difference. I want to help my audience do something better, be better, share something they may not otherwise know. Well, no, that's Steve, that's not a presentation. I often tell doc, I do do a lot of uh, training with physicians. They'll say, I'm not good with speaking in public. I think, what are you talking about? You tell patients and engage patients having the most difficult conversations. You're always helpful. They say, that's not the same as speaking in public. Yes, it is. But the key word is conversations. It is a matter of feeling that you, it's a lot different having a conversation with someone than it is feeling like you are going up, being judged in front of an audience, having to make sure, a lot of times uh, the people that we coach say, I want them to remember so many important things. <laughs> you, you could give them a handout. You could say, go to my website. How about this one? I have so much to tell them. So much great stuff. So many numbers. <laughs> numbers are numbing. I don't know. Somebody told me that once. That Who numbers, told you that? I don't know. Steve Adubato, PhD. Numbers are numbing. Yes, exactly. Too many statistics. 
too many numbers. We don't know what they mean. You're not putting them in context. If you're going right. to use a number, have an example that puts those numbers in context. Because otherwise, we'll never remember them. Mm -hmm. So stop thinking that you're being judged or evaluated by mm -hmm. how much information you give. And leaders need to ask themselves, what does my audience want? Mm -hmm. What do they need? How can I help them? What is it that I'm bringing in terms of passion and enthusiasm? Because if I don't, I'm not connecting. By the way, speaking of passion and enthusiasm, we actually have an in-studio guest coming in. We do. Talk about a great leader. Can she hear me, Brian, right now? Okay. Let, let me talk about her behind her back. Um, <laughs> She'll hear it later. Micheline Davis, who is, in fact, a great leader. She is Executive Vice President and Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, RWJ Barnabas Health, and also uh, the President, uh, as we speak right now, of Executive Women of New Jersey. Micheline is a super leader, a great communicator, and uh, Mary and I will be picking up the Leadership Hour, the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour, with Micheline Davis right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This is Steve Adubato. You've been listening to us on AM 970, the premier radio station coming to you from Lower Manhattan, also a follow-up podcast. I am here with my colleague, Mary Gamba, who uh, runs our company, as I said, Stand uh, and Deliver. But the website is not Stand and Deliver. It's stand dash deliver.com free articles tips and tools except the books aren't free because we have four greedy children in our family my family mm -hmm. i have two greedy children in mine are they real they're not greedy no they're, they're not. just sweet just a little but bit. they want things and you know but but more importantly i was plugging this before we went out to the break and she's here she's actually in studio one of the most dynamic charismatic leaders you will ever find she is in fact micheline davis executive vice president and chief corporate affairs officer of a little organization called RWJ Barnabas Health. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? How cool is this? This is so cool. This is right. <laughs> this is so cool. I'm so excited that you're just that you're you're going into this uh, format and this medium. I think it's just absolutely fantastic. By the way, we talk with Micheline. Micheline is our partner, our colleague. She's a board member of our not-for-profit production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation. By the way, in the second half hour of the leadership. Hour with Steve Adubato. You will listen to, I know you will, on AM 97. You'll be listening to State of Affairs, our public affairs show. There'll be leaders in government, academia, healthcare, business, et cetera, et cetera, all Jersey focused. But this is national, international, and in focused talking about leadership. Micheline, real quick, um, you are not only in a key leadership position at RWG Barnabas Health, which is a fairly large organization, fairly large. How many employees? Um, so we have an affiliated 44,000. We have 33,000 direct employees. And describe your role there. Um, Executive Vice President, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer. I get the delightful pleasure of driving social impact and community investment across the system and then overseeing a few other small departments like policy development, governmental affairs, external affairs, healthy living, community wellness and engagement, global health, um, and then serving as a sponsor of some uh, other pretty key programs like our Women's Leadership Alliance and our Institute for Internship. Yeah, we're going to be talking about executive women in New Jersey in just a second. But before you joined this very large healthcare system, you had leadership positions in government. Describe some. 
I did, in fact. Um, so I had the the, the wondrous opportunity to uh, serve not under one or two, but three governors uh, to serve the people in of the New great Jersey. state of New Jersey. And um, initially, uh, actually, I started as a, as a trial litigator, right, which I, I tend to forget about all the time, um, although it was some pretty, pretty exciting 10 years of my um, career. But after that, I served as a policy advisor to the Commissioner of Health in the Department of Health under one particular governor, and then served as, um, and you know this, um, CEO of the New Jersey Lottery. Um, and then- You were, you, you were the head of the- so much fun. Was it, it was really? so much fun. When people won, were you the one that actually- Oh, the giant check. Did you get to give them the you giant check? I got to give them the giant check, I have to tell you. And so it was <laughs> That's really- exciting. One of the most um, fun jobs I've ever had. When people see you, they're just excited automatically. It was just like coming home to a bunch of puppies. It was pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> that's a fun part of leadership. That's a fun part of leadership. I will tell you that um, between serving uh, in my last capacity as chief policy counsel and being lottery director, I was also, of course, the um, acting state treasurer. People are not nearly as happy when they see you. Um, <laughs> Hold on, you were so responsible for the finances of the is, state. Yeah. And New Jersey had way too much money, didn't know what to do with it. No? <laughs> do I have that wrong? Not the case. Not exactly the case, although we were still in the black at that time. Um, and so, listen, I don't, I don't know what's happened since then. Um, I think it's because- You're not there. That's I was the just going to say here. you left. That's here, what here. happened. You're here. Uh, so let's do this. Um, again, by the way, let folks know what Executive Women of New Jersey is. Oh, thank you. Um, so I am also um, grateful to serve as the current president of the Executive Women of New Jersey, which is the state of New Jersey's premier organization for executive women's thought leadership in, in the state. And really, um, it is a two-year term. I'm actually coming up on the end um, uh, this December. It has just been a triumphant time and really a remarkable time to be both a woman and an executive. Yeah, let's stay on this. You've never held back when it comes to a whole range of subjects I find fascinating around leadership, and I'll be more specific. Uh-oh. You, we do a, Mary and I, Mary actually uh, is the CEO of our Stand and Deliver not-for-profit operation in which we teach and coach leadership skills to, let's say, urban young adults, and Micheline has been a big part of that from day one. Being a woman, but being a woman of color in a very large organization, or in any organization, do you think, loaded question, do you think there's any significant differences and or challenges? Look at you. If you can see this on video, Micheline's looking like, what? What, of course, what are the differences, if you will, being a woman, a woman of color in a leadership position versus just me? Like a white, white middle-aged guy. Any differences? I was going to say, I'm glad you defined that. I wondered what you meant by me. No, but like a white, very handsome middle-aged oh, guy. Very oh, very handsome. Yes, yes. Okay, so the attractiveness is the same across the board. Oh, However, yeah. And Mary, um, Mary as well. So absolutely. Listen, I think that there is um, really so much um, rich diversity in um, uh, our environments where we have a, a really uh, great opportunity to bring everyone to the table, um, but to, to recognize and respect the fact that there are inherent differences. Um, and you know what? There are also some unpleasant biases, right? And so that is simply because we are human. Um, individuals have a tendency to, to be drawn to individuals who are more like them um, than not. Um, are there differences between uh, you and myself as both a woman and in particular a woman of color? Absolutely. As a leader. Absolutely. As a leader. So um, Ursula Burns, who was the recent 
CEO of uh, Xerox, who recently stepped down, uh, did an interview where she talked about the fact that, you know, when people of color, in particular women of color, become uh, and or assume uh, top tier leadership positions in companies, other individuals don't know how to handle it. Right? What do you mean? So um, she literally um, began to recall that the, the um, uh, interviewer with a series of examples around how difficult it is for individuals sometimes to realize that they now answer to a person that their implicit bias, right, um, uh, holds or perceives in a particular way. Steve, you know this because I've said this before. My um, uh, I think most consistent challenges in my career were not necessarily within my head. It was actually traditionally in the head of the of, of another individual, mm. right? Because they seek to put parameters on you to keep you in the box, right? And so where individuals have traditionally um, encountered another individual like you, right? And or that which they have been taught to believe about you is what I believe are the most limiting principles. By the way, you are listening to Micheline Davis, who is in fact a uh, very strong, effective dynamic leader who is uh, one of the leaders at RWJ Barnabas Health and also the president, as we speak, of Executive Women of New Jersey, held a whole range of leadership positions. Um, along these same lines, do you think you, we talk about, Mary and I talk about relationships all the time, like great leaders are great at relationship building. And we talk about some of the keys to being great at relationship building. Do you have a philosophy of relationship building? I do, in fact, right? So, um in order to truly uh, be an individual who shows up in an authentic space, I need to ensure that as I am uh, going about the business of what other folks call networking, and I like to yes. say that it's all relationship building. It's all. That I'm not only having an experience with you that um, literally it's all about what I can get from this, right? But how can I help you in this path? So I think that really my philosophy around relationship building is that it cannot be transactional. Oh, whoa. Well, can't we just make a deal? No, my friend. Um, that it really <laughs> needs to be transformative, right? And so what does that mean? That means that at the end of our relationship time together and or along the path, there's got to be some opportunity for me to add to you and perhaps you add to me. But my first um, call to duty is, so how can I add to this person? It's about one of the chapters, I hate to plug my book. No, I don't. But no, please, no, by no all he does not. Lessons is, in leadership. It's simply called, it's about them. Yeah. That's it. What does that mean to you? Oh, my goodness. It's about the fact that we need to ensure that we are looking through a lens which really is not focused on self, right? So this is not, so how can this person help me? And, and trust me, I encounter a whole lot of individuals who I know um, see me in exactly that way, right? Oh, I've wanted to meet you for some time. I have this great <laughs> idea I need you to help me with. Um, but it really is making certain that as you interface with individuals, as you engage, that mm. they feel like you are concerned about their well-being, that's right? right about their outcome, about their effect, right? So how can I add to you? It cannot be about you, not as a true leader, right? Because I am a firm believer, and I say this to my team all the time, I don't have staff. I have a league of leaders. They are leaders? Hold on, you're the captain of that team. How, devil's advocate, how are they leaders if you're the leader? Are you kidding? So, so I firmly believe in um, co-designing the space that we are called to, to orchestrate, right? So what is it that you bring to the table that is unique and separate and apart from that which I do? Hmm. And how can I better learn, right? And how to access that, right? How, so how do we tap into that and create a space so that that particular leader with that particular skill set has A, that opportunity to lead, right? And then clearly given an opportunity to soar because I really firmly believe that they all can do so. Great leaders build other leaders? 
hands down. I read that in a book somewhere. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> nice guy plug. named Steve. Yes, yeah, so an nice airbrush plug. photo. Yeah. You seen my airbrush photo on the cover? <laughs> Lessons in Leadership. So I this heard that was without filter. Oh yeah, my no, goodness! No, it's not. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour on AM nine seventy. You check us out. Hopefully, you'll listen to us every Sunday at two p.m. on AM nine seventy. By the way, thank you, Jerry Crowley. Speak about great leaders over there. Our general manager who said yes, let's do this. Um, but if you miss it, you'll catch us on the podcast. We'll also be on the website on AM970 as well. I'm in the studio with uh, Mary Gamba, who is the Vice President of Business Relations, Business Development, Vice President of Everything at our company, Stand Deliver, and Micheline Davis. What, what Micheline, RRWJ Barnabas Health, why did you make that face? Because I thought that her official title was Goddess of Light. So I'm I'm thrown. <laughs> oh, I I'm like thrown, that. Right? I I'm going to put on my crown. That she was in charge of just about everything. Um, that is true. That is right? Nice. Which is what most women do. Yes. Whoa! Well, Hold just, on. I'm just. Yes. Mary, jump in now and defend me, <laughs> please. Listen, you asked me the question earlier, my friend. So what's the difference? Do we have any differences? And, you know, when you show up in a package that the world is not ready for, you encounter a whole lot of resistance. Um, right? Things right. Like different pay scales. Um, and so, right, in New Jersey, for the average white male, right, his dollar is a dollar. For the white woman, right, at least you get 82 cents to that You're dollar. You're talking to Mary right now. For the African-American woman, that's 64 cents to that same dollar. And for the Latina woman, it's 43. Is that a leadership issue? It is. How so? Because you need to ensure that as a leader, we are trying to right-size any inherent and historical wrongs that have literally created this disparity, mm. right? So, right, as a leader, your, your aim, your job, your calling, right, that purpose should be about creating a more equitable society for everybody. Uh, let's try this because I want to stay on this theme. With a little bit of a different twist. Okay, do. We um, at the at our not-for-profit stand and deliver program, about 500 kids now. I shouldn't yeah. call them kids. No, 500 young adults, young adults yeah. mostly in and around Newark. We we do a series of workshops. At, I don't know how many years now. 19. 19. Uh, leadership development, communication skills, presentation skills, and Michelin is with us every year. She received the Dr. Martin Luther King Leadership Award several years ago. Uh, she accepted it this year on behalf of Lieutenant Governor of the great state of New Jersey, Sheila Oliver. Communication and leadership, the connection between a great leader and the need for he or she to be an exceptional communicator who connects on a human, personal level. I want to tell you that there is almost no, no greater need right, than being an, an effective communicator. I say almost because I really firmly believe that integrity is your very first, right? Um, like but a I, great speaker oh, who doesn't have integrity, no leader at all. Right, what is that, right? It. It's, it's a, well, I was about to say it's a used car salesman, but I don't want to offend any used no, car no, no. salesman. <laughs> Listen. You're doing we, good work out We there. may need a sponsor that is, in fact, <laughs> a, running a used car operation. Yes. Go ahead. So we don't want to offend them. Um, I, I will tell you, and Steve, every single year, I look forward to that event the, the day after we have just held Michelin's it. Michelin talking about our annual Night of Eloquence where about 10 young people the best that we have of 500 get up and present. And they are leaders, and they talk about the change that they want to bring. Um, the fact that, uh, really, you are harvesting from this fertile crop the very best of the best that this state has to offer. These young people are already leaders. They've never been given that opportunity to lead, right? Mm -hmm. So that is why, mm -hmm. right, when you when you dim the, the house lights and drop a spotlight, you see this brilliance come mm -hmm. forth because you have been cultivating this through your program. I quite think, frankly firmly believe that folks can't catch a hold of your vision if you cannot clearly enunciate articulate 
exactly what it is and why it exists, where they are going, what role that they have. Mary and I were talking before you got in here about why so many people. See, for you, because we, you, we've spoken so many times, we've been in each other's company, you are confident, you're comfortable, you're dynamic. That, as a leader, I learned skill, we're born with this stuff. I had great parentage, um, but I, I do think that it comes from um, exposure and experience. Um, I think that it can be learned. I, I Being a competent communicator as a leader. Absolutely, right? You have to put the time in, right? Mm. It's not overnight, right? It's like anything else. It requires conditioning, right? You don't walk into the, and I'm still upset about this on a daily basis because I leave the gym and I'm like, I'm not skinny. That, that, that last workout just didn't do it. I think that it really is the same thing. That's why I don't go to the gym, because well, then listen, I never have to have that feeling of leaving the absolutely. gym and feeling that I wasn't getting Slightly results. Slightly frustrated. I'm just like, well, I think what just happened? Is, I did a leg lift. The point is about consistency, effort, <laughs> absolutely. and discipline. Discipline, What does that absolutely. have to do with leadership and communication? Are you kidding me, right? So um, you're not By a leader. Way, I'm doing devil's advocate. Absolutely, my know. love. But, but right, so you're not a leader if no one's following you, right? So how do they catch the wave, right? What are you bringing to them? How are you inspiring them? How are you motivating them? I am not talking about being a motivational speaker. That is a totally different That's thing. Right. I'm talking about being a leader at your core who fully understands that others have to be brought to a, a place and a space where they too can catch hold of that vision mm-hmm. and that they deserve clear communication around what that vision is. Well, mm-hmm. earlier, yeah, I was ahead, just going to say earlier, Steve and I were talking about leader as presenter, and it is a lot about believability and getting people to buy in. And Steve and I were talking about storytelling. And one of the greatest things that I've seen you do to inspire our young adults at the Stand and Deliver Night of Eloquence is telling your story or telling a story to those young adults. So what is the connection between really being a great leader and being able to tell a story and communicating to an audience? Oh, wow. So first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for oh, saying well, that. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, that night is is always full of so much emotion, so thank you very much. Um, Were you I, trained in storytelling? So um, not officially. I didn't take a course on being trained in storytelling, right? But I realized that I learned it at my father's knee. Talk about that. Right. So when you are the daughter of a bishop, what you fully understand is that if he stands there and, you know, spews out, um, you know, just ancient script in the pulpit, in the pulpit, all you really have is a one dimensional dialogue. But I would watch him talk about characters in a a book that was over 2000 years old and bring them to life like I knew them. Like I thought I could call Mary Magdalene and she would take my call. Do you understand? (laughs) I mean, I I felt like I'm gonna go over here and talk to the Amaya and we gonna work this out. So, So literally to me, storytelling helps to widen the circle and bring everybody else in. Right. He would talk about Nicodemus climbing a tree in such a way that I felt like, yes, I, I, I knew that tree. I passed it on my way to school. He painted a picture. All the time. Do great leaders paint vivid pictures? Absolutely, that... because they want what they're talking about not just to be heard, right, but to be felt, to be sensed, right? I don't want this to hit your ear. I need it to hit your heart, mm. right? I need to make certain that when you go home, that tonight you don't talk to your family about how bad traffic was. You talk to them about that town hall meeting that we had and about the next thing that we're about to do and how healthcare is about to be different and the way in which your role is so intrinsic to ensuring that people are healed. Like, think about that. Impact. 
I'm inspired because I. You're talking about having impact, absolutely, not just what you did, right? So, so by the way, this is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with Mary Gamba and Micheline Davis. You're listening to us on AM 970. I have to say passion. We uh, again. Yeah, let's talk about the passion piece. Leadership and passion. Go ahead, go with it. Leadership and passion. One of the things. By the way, the show could clearly be done without me, but go ahead. Yes, (laughs) that's my goal. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. (laughs) I'm back in (laughs) Mary. Yes. So. This is all sisterhood. I'm not a part of. It's true. (laughs) Go ahead. This is this is good. This is a bonding. Passion and leadership, They're, they go hand in hand. And you, as such a powerful, passionate woman, have inspired so many of us. And can you talk a little bit about the connection between passion and leadership and overall attitude? You you said just a moment ago, when you get home, you don't complain about the traffic. I complain about the traffic almost every <laughs> single day when I get home. And even on the way home, I'm taking pictures and to show how bad. And I think you have the bad. greatest attitude, Mary. And I but have a ahead. great attitude. And I try to make light of it, but it is very frustrating. And it's hard to turn that switch to see the my husband bill calls it the power of positivity and how if you feel positive you will be positive so i think it really is a choice mm-hmm. um and so attitude I, is a choice so absolutely my friend listen um uh you know we we are both um friends and and colleagues and and you guys know that life happens right and so there has to be something that happens the day after you have to bury your father and your best friend to suicide and your sister to a certain sudden heart attack that still gets you up and dis- and decidedly so in a manner that says I'm still going to make this world By the way, a better you're not place. talking in the abstract but keep talking. I'm not I'm not right so I I think um, that that for me it really comes from a place of purpose right does my daily job, is my, my operational uh, task, is that aligned with my purpose mm. on this planet at this point in history? And if, in fact, I can connect, no matter how many mental gymnastics we've got to perform, if I can align those two things together, then the rest of it is gravy, baby, right? Because it has to be better than it's been, right? Or then there's no reason for hope. Mm-hmm. So so I try to connect folks a, a great deal to the master picture, right? Because, you know, before the orchestra begins, it's a lot of that, that cacophony is, is just, you know, all over the place, right? It, it sounds like noise until we start to do it all together. Mm. And then we, we, we better understand that, well, I'm supposed to be on C scale and you're, you're supposed to be at, at a sharp F. And so once we are literally able to do that, we realize that this harmony is irreplaceable. I think the same thing about passion and leadership, right? A few seconds left. Go ahead. So so oftentimes, um, I, I want to make certain that folks understand that passion doesn't mean that you're argumentative, mm. right? It doesn't mean that you're not compassionate. It doesn't mean you're it screaming and yelling you're not either empathetic. all the time. You got it, right? Yeah. But passion means that I'm a compassionate and kind leader that brings to the forefront no matter what goes on, right? Because your budgets get denied, right? Mm. You have to Tough do decisions. People got to be let go. All the time. Right? The you got to do that stuff. Absolutely. But you've got to keep... The purpose of what you're doing, the point of your work. And I think that firmly in doing that, you decide before your feet hit the ground, today it's going to be that day. Every day you do that? Today is going to be that day. You don't go on autopilot? I can't. I can't. I just, I Mary I and I say autopilot's our enemy. You say? Listen, autopilot's our enemy. I love that, right? It I, is. I, I absolutely agree. I do what I do. How do you do it? Why do you do it? I do it every day. Why do you do it? I just, because that's what I do. I make the decision every morning. As a matter of fact, I turn to my cat and I literally say, okay, we're off. Mm-hmm. Right? So it literally is, right? How can I be the most useful to this planet at this time, at this juncture in history? Because I could have hit it at any other time. I'm here right now. There's got to be a point. By the way, that is a big part of the social impact uh, initiative at RWJ Barnabas Health. 
You know, Mary, it's funny. We, we planned this show. We produced this show. We structured the show. We thought about the show. And we, the beauty, we call it strategic agility. We always have a name for something. Right? I love that. Mm -hmm. It means you just cool. deal with what is. We had a set time for Micheline. We had a set group of things we were going to talk about. But it went in a different direction that was better, stronger, more compelling, had more impact. And that is part of leadership, having a plan. But in football, you call an audible. You call an audible. And this was a good audible. So to Micheline Davis, our good friend, our sister, our partner, who we work with on so yeah, many yeah. things, um, can't thank you enough for joining us on the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. This was fun. This is so cool. <laughs> right? It is. Uh, so for Mary Gamba, for Micheline Davis, for everyone at the uh, Stand and Deliver team, I want to thank you for joining us uh, on, on AM970. Check us out on the podcast. And if you're listening on AM970, let me tell you what's coming up in the next half of the Leadership Hour. State of Affairs with me, Steve Adubato, but more importantly, talking to some interesting and important leaders in the state of New Jersey who impact your lives every day. God bless. Thank you. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnikin. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the New Jersey Education Association, the Northeast Regional Council of Carpenters, New Jersey Resources, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, Turn a Dream into a Degree, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by NJM Insurance Group. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by Observer New Jersey Politics. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We are, in fact, coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Newark, New Jersey. It is our pleasure to welcome, for the first time in this studio with us, Steve Malanga, Manhattan Institute Senior Fellow. Good to see you. Hey, how you doing? Let us disclose we come from the same neighborhood <laughs> uh, in Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. And you were with us back in the day, early 90s, early 90s, if you, yeah. early 90s uh, with Caucus New Jersey, our, our yeah. this series we started with. Your views have not changed that much. But the world has changed around you. So I'm going to get right to some of the issues that matter most. You're one of the smartest people I've ever met when it comes to tax policy. I say Trump tax policy, the changes, corporate tax, um, tax on wealthier folks, middle-income middle folks. Overall, good for the people of the state of New Jersey? Uh, yes, for a couple of things. First of all, I think it's been wildly exaggerated who's going to have to pay more in taxes. And I think a lot of Jersey residents are seeing that. The fact of the matter is that uh, what the, the media tended to focus on is the fact that they were gonna we were going to lose the state and local deduction. Because New Jersey, <clears throat> we pay the highest we pay, property we taxes, taxes in the nation. If you only right. can deduct 10 grand, right. you're paying 50 grand, 40 grand, 30 grand, you can't deduct it. Why isn't that good math? Because what, we're, because what they did is they left out all the good things. First of all, your tax rate went down. Second of all, the standard deduction is being doubled. 
Thirdly, the alternative minimum tax. Which Explain is, what, what that means. Well, that's very, look, it basically it's a tax that the was TBS originally, version. right, it was, it was the fast <laughs> version. It was originally targeted to rich people, but basically it came to include a lot of ordinary people. It's a way, basically what it does is it zeroes out your deductions. Mm -hmm. It begins to reduce your deductions so you have to pay more in taxes. So people were already in New Jersey losing some of those deductions. That's now gone away from most people in New Jersey. And here's the thing. I saw, it, there, I haven't seen a study in New Jersey, but there was a study in New York that was done, which basically said that up to $500,000 in annual income, you're still going to get a tax cut. Above $500,000, you start to pay more, okay. but it's not that much more. $5 million, $10 million in New Jersey, you're definitely paying a lot more in taxes. But that's a very small, that's a small slice that's way of less New than Jersey. one half of 1%. Uh, absolutely. Let's do this, because, Steve, the other thing, and I meant it as a compliment, your views haven't changed. You've evolved and gotten more information. Um, but the one thing you have not changed on is you're one of the first people with me and my, my colleague, Raphael Piermont, our great colleague, who was one of the co-anchors of uh, Metro Focus. He and I had a conversation. We had a conversation with you about the pension crisis in New Jersey. And you were one of the first people to say, look, this is real. This is serious. And it's getting worse every day. The public employee pension crisis, what is it? And why does it matter to everyone who is not a public employee? See, well, here's the thing. I was saying that back maybe 15, 20 years ago. That's because right. that's how long we have been essentially uh, messing this up. And right now, we have the worst funded state pension system in America. That's bad in itself. What's also bad is that most of the other pension systems, state pension systems around the country, are also in trouble because the fundamental math is not working. Everybody's heading in the wrong direction. We're there. That's a double problem for us. We have to fix the things we've done wrong, but we also have a pension system that, frankly, even if we were another state, we'd probably be in trouble, just not as much trouble. So it's a really, and it's a future problem that is here Who for pays us now. And when? Well, see, here's the thing. The way the system is set up right now is that there's almost unlimited liability, and basically, what, tax, that what that means is that you can get, keep going deeper and deeper in the hole if the system isn't working, and you keep promising people a pension. But credits. sooner or later, the pension. Well, hold on one second. But yes. sooner or later, the bubble has to burst. So here's the thing, okay? And this is one of the reasons we're in this problem in America is because basically, as long as there's a dollar in the trust fund to pay somebody tomorrow, politicians have keep put you know, I've kept putting off the what solutions. kind of leadership is that? Well, but you know what? You could get away with it. In this new report that I did for the Manhattan Institute on New Jersey, I traced the history, and it goes back to the Florio administration. Every administration has been doing a little and a little and Didn't a little. they underfund the pension? Now, the here's what they did. Here's what they did during the Fluoro years, and I had a laugh at this. Basically, they changed a lot of the assumptions and made them more positive, including the assumption for what we were going to earn in the stock market over the next 30 years. It was I mean, the they overestimated it the was revenue. The legislature, they, lift, they, they, they raised it from 7% to 8.7%. Now, I've met a lot of New Jersey mm. legislators in my time. The last thing I would do is go to a New Jersey legislature and say, tell me what you think the market's going to do. They did that legislation to save themselves $500 million. So now Governor Murphy, who is, uh, as we do this program in a couple of days, to deliver his budget address. We're doing this in the spring of 2018. Right now, the, the annual budget in New Jersey is about uh, 35, is it 35, 36? $35 billion. $35 billion, give or take a few yes. million. What's the amount you believe is the appropriate amount that Governor Murphy should take of that budget <clears throat> and put directly into the public employee pension fund <laughs> To, it's not it's serious business to to make a real dent on how much it's underfunded. Okay, is it three, four, order, five billion dollars? What is okay. it? In order to 
put enough money into that system to pay for the current credits that people are earning every day and to begin reducing the debts, you have to put at least $5 billion. Of $35 billion? Yes, exactly. That and means less for put, schools, less for hospitals, less for county way, colleges. Way, way, le way less. Basically, this new report I did says that even under optimistic economic scenarios, the pension system, if you adequately fund it, and you have to do that not one year, but every year for the next 30 years, if you adequately fund it, it basically takes up most of the increase in, uh, in, uh, in tax collections that Revenues. we can expect right, from a good economy. So it just basically... Well, would you advise Governor Murphy if he asked you, should I put in $5 billion of a $35 million budget into the public employee pension fund? Would you say yes, do it? Well, here's the thing. Of course, you know, you can't say yes because we don't have $5 billion right now. I don't know where, where that... If you take that $5 billion, you either have to raise taxes so high or you have to cut other spending, which is already, listen, let's not kid ourselves, that $35 billion is already accounted for. That's right. This has been the slowest recovery of state tax revenues, not just in New Jersey, but around the country since World War II. Meaning not a lot more money's coming it in. It took nine years on an inflation-adjusted basis to get mm. back to where we were in 2007. Meanwhile, costs have been going up and up and up. Everybody is struggling. We don't have What do we do here, money. Steve? What? What do we do? Well, you know, the New Jersey Pension and, uh, uh, and Reform Commission, which was a bipartisan commission, including... Under some, Governor Cody? Uh, no, 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 not that one. The new one under... Oh, the, the new one, one, I apologize. Right, the one under... Right. With, with uh, 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 Tom Burn, Healy Tom, Tom and, and Tom, Tom Byrne. And Tom right. Byrne, two very good guys, basically had a reform package, which is, which is radical in what it does, but essentially they have a plan, and a lot of the plan involves saving enough money and redirecting that money, reducing the cost going forward, redirecting that money into paying off the debt. Unless you do that, you have to take the money out of current... But, Tax but, Steve, you can't respectfully, in the time we have left, how fair is it to change the deal for public employees who made the deal and said, I expect this no, pension on, contribution, yes. I expect these health benefits? You're changing the rules in the middle of the game. No, you're not changing the rules in the middle. First of all, here's the thing, okay? We work in the private sector, governed by federal law. Private sector, what the, what the law has always been is what you have earned because of the work you have done right now is yours. However, you don't have a right for the rest of your life to keep earning pension credits at that level. Your employer could come in and say, for yeah. work you haven't done yet, we need to change things. Stephen Lang, it's been uh, about 25 plus years that we uh, have been <laughs> having you on, and you are smart and thoughtful, whether people agree or not is another story, but uh, we appreciate you bringing on this valuable information. By the way, where can people find the article Manhattan? Uh, uh, Manhattan-institute.org. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Good to see you, buddy. He did the neighborhood well. Stay right back after this. <laughs> to see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. There he is. He's smiling right now. We'll see in a few. He is our good friend, Dr. Joel Bloom, president of the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Good to see you. Good to see you, Steve. We should also make clear you are a uh, trustee of the Caucus Educational Corporation. And something else, this is NJ Biz. If you don't look at NJ Biz, you should. Good information here. Uh, they put out a power list every year. Yep. You made it again. Yes. Several years now. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. People <laughs> Several can figure years. that out. Yeah. And also ROI, which is another publication, right. and return on information on that power list as well. Get that out of the way. I know you don't try to make a list, yeah. but you make a list of a powerful, influential person. How much does it help you do what you need to do as president 
of NGIT? Well, you're, you're a more recognizable figure in the state of New Jersey. People who are in this business, and it's a big business, um, look for themselves as well. So if they see a university on the move, which we are, they see a university that's growing, the university, you are more recognizable. Uh, everyone likes to affiliate with success, and I think we are rather successful. So that's why it's important. The other thing I was picking up uh, in this publication and others, and also check at NJ.com, you'll see this as well. Uh, July in 2018, there's going to be a voice summit, three-day voice summit, Amazon Alexa hosting it. I know NJIT is involved. Talk about it, because I know you and Mayor Baraka were talking about it publicly on NJTV News. Check it out. So they were looking to host this conference. Uh, three cities were finalists, uh, Las Vegas, Philadelphia, and Newark. We won the bid. And we won the bid in part because of that new building we built called the Wellness and Event Center. So, you know, 4,500 people for conferencing, state-of-the-art, facility technical, great space. Um, and everyone seems to be watching Newark these days. Why? Uh, well, I, I think because, uh, one, we've had significant corporate interest, mostly in the tech fields in Newark. <clears throat> Two, we have major assets in the city, from transportation to an airport to a port, to good highways, to a light rail. Um, and it's a little less expensive than being across the river from that other great city, right? New York City. So I, I think Newark is truly on a, it's, I don't even think it's a, uh, it's a long distance race. I think it's a bit of a sprint these days um, in, in people wanting to come and get interested in Newark. So they, they chose us for the space. They chose us for the accommodations, for the assets of the city. And again, I think people attach themselves mm. to what's on the appreciation, what's, what's going up. By the way, I want to be clear, the Voice Summit, check it out. It, it's all about the power of voice and technology right. and its impact on our lives, as I interpret it. Right. 1,500 people, 100 of the gurus on voice and technology. What don't we know about voice and technology these days? What part can't of our you, lives? It's, it's, it's ubiquitous. Well, the other thing that is a big part of our lives um, is state funding of higher education. You right. knew it was going to come to that, Joel. Um, look, we're taping on April 10th. We always disclose, and Jackie Hired, our top producer, will put the date up. You'll see it there. The reason we're saying that is because the state budget is not closed until July 1st, if right. you will. There was a debate, a discussion going on about higher education. Put it in context state funding of higher education, but particularly of an institution like yours? Well, the, the problem of state funding in higher education is older than a, it's probably getting closer to two decades. And the, the outstanding work that was done by uh, Governor Kane in 2010, if I remember correctly, was a decade of uh, declining funding uh, of higher education. Um, that decade, when he writes this in 2010, we're now in 2018, so we're moving on to two decades. We could talk about, and while the enrollment has grown, so the financing of the support for higher ed is going down. And it went down precipitously in 2006, in 2006. And the Corzine administration? And the Corzine administration. Remember, we have a little bit of an economic hiccup at that point. Then we have the Great Recession, and it's going down. And at this point, at, at NGIT, when I got there, when we were getting fully funded, uh, 70, 70 cents on every dollar to educate a student was state money. 
Mm. Students were paying about 28 cents. 70 cents. 70 cents now? on the dollar. Now it's just absolutely flipped. The students are paying 68 cents on the dollar for the cost of their education. So, yes, it's about affordability, but you can't talk about affordability without talking about funding. Where's the revenue going to come to educate these students? When you look at NGIT, when you look at any of the polytechs, we are the most expensive undergraduate and graduate institutions. Very few courses. Because of the research? Well, it's not only, it's more, before the research, you all take courses, then you go into labs. In the labs is equipment. In the labs are lab proctors. So it's not about uh, chalk and talk. It's about technology. It's about equipment. It's about a la a labs. It's about doing projects. So the research, we do okay on what we call indirect cost recovery. So the research isn't as expensive as it is the cost of education. And in fact, you know, we inform what's going on in a classroom based on the research we're doing. Real quick on this. Do you think Governor Murphy understands what you just said? I, I think he does. I've had an opportunity to meet one-on-one -on -one with him in two occasions prior to becoming governor. Um, he hosted an event for a lot of presidents at Trump Thwacket. He heard it from all 20-plus who were there. Mm. He understands it, but you know what I know about the state of New Jersey. We've got massive debt. Yes. We've got pension debt. Um, we've got massive issues, as any predominantly urban state has, um, that uh, require funding. So it's, it's a competitive. But at the end of the day, you grow your tax base. You grow your, your, your workforce. You grow your revenues by preparing the workforce. And in this state, Mm. This is the beauty of NJIT. We have almost as many scientists and technical people and engineers in this state as any other state in the nation. So we need this technically prepared workforce. We are not preparing enough people for the workforce in the state of New Jersey. One of the things that you told our producers, and you said this publicly, is that the demand for technology uh, and a smart workforce, we're not matched up. What does that right. mean? So it's, it means two things. First of all, uh, Wall Street Journal, 1.6 million STEM graduates on an annual basis. Science, well, technology, engineering, right. and math. Thank you, thank you. The country is producing 600,000. And we are truly in that group of uh, lacking enough people for the workforce. The second issue that's come up, which is really a very, very complex issue, is what does the future workforce look like? And notwithstanding, and I, I know the governor is putting money into voc ed schools and the county colleges, but when you look at things like advanced manufacturing or smart technology, you do need four-year degrees, too. It's interesting stuff. Uh, I, I tell you what, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Bloom. We actually do a shoot every August on campus at NJIT talking about innovation, technology, right. and what's happening. And I'm sure this discussion about the... Uh, <laughs> the Voice Summit, uh, Amazon Alexa hosting right. it will be part of it. Uh, Dr. Bloom, always good having you. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. 
We are pleased to welcome Assemblyman John Bramnick. He is, in fact, the Assembly Republican leader. Good to see you. Great to be with you. Uh, let's talk. You know what? We're going to talk issues, but we're also going to talk a little comedy. Are you, in fact, known as the funniest lawyer? Uh, where? Because, because I won the funniest lawyer in New Jersey contest every time the Bar Association sponsored it. With well, actually so I'm any Muhammad other Ali. Muhammad Ali of comedy among lawyers in New Jersey. I'm sorry, I stepped on your line there, Assemblyman. Um, how many funny lawyers could there actually possibly be? Well, the competition's light, <laughs> uh, but I still won. Unlike a competitive swing district in New Jersey. Well, where you know, the it's like the funniest, lawyer in account, the, the funniest accountant in New Jersey is a less, less uh, competitive comp uh, competition. It's even less competitive. Yes. By the way, speaking of, uh, let's get this out of the way. You, well, we're talking about the millionaire's tax, yeah. the 2% cap on our interest arbitration, free community college, a whole bunch of things, pension crisis. While we'll talk about that, you're going to be at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Let's put this up right now with Mike Marino, the comedian. We also had him on our one-on-one -on -one show. Mike is a funny guy. What are you doing on that bill? April 7th, they wanted the funniest lawyer in New Jersey to start because, you know, Mike Marino is the bad boy of comedy. He sure so is. you need a lawyer. Uh, to be around Mike Marino because he'll get himself in trouble. So you're going to open up? I am. Let me ask you, you're, you're always under pressure in the legislature as a public figure. Pressure performing as a stand-up on the stage at NJPAC pressure? Harder than a trial lawyer and harder than being the Republican leader in the because? House. Because? Because if you miss one line and you lose the audience, the audience is gone. In the other job, you don't know if you lost a trial, you don't know if you lost a jury or you lost your constituency, because they don't tell you. You'll know right away. Right. Let's see if you lose anyone here. Are you ready? Happy to go. Millionaire's tax. Uh, we're doing this right before the governor delivers his budget address in spring of 2018. Increasing taxes on millionaires. That's a good idea, right? Bad. Why? Well, the We worst, need the money. The worst thing you can do in New Jersey is start sending a message that we're going to put more taxes on anyone. The reason people are leaving the state uh, is not because there's too little tax. There's too much tax. How about starting with the other option, which is reducing expenditures or capping things like interest arbitration? What does that mean, capping things like Well, very simple. Right now, if you're a, a municipal employee and you've accumulated sick leave, you could get a payout of four or $500,000. Does that make any sense? You mean when you sense? retire? Yes. Why? Well, because historically, you could save these sick days and walk away with four or 500000 You saw that with police chiefs, people in the fire department. Why are we talking about capping those kind of expenditures? Why are we you mean limiting them? What exactly. Amount? Well, it should be zero, but I'd go with fifteen thousand as a cap. I'm willing to talk about it. But why are we talking about now? The first thing the Murphy administration is doing, in conjunction with the Democratic majority, is they're talking about which tax should raise, we should raise. Does that make any sense in New Jersey? But, really? but respectfully, <laughs> I mean, why not talk about finding ways to cut? Uh, expenditures, but at the same time, increase taxes because we need more revenue. Why is it one uh, or the other? I don't well, understand that. It may not be, but I haven't heard anything about capping anything. All I've heard is, are we going to do a millionaire's tax on the Democratic side? Are we going to increase today? I think Steve Sweeney talked about raising the corporate tax by 3%, a surcharge. The Senate president talked about that? Yeah, that came by out today. By the way, uh, we'll have him on our April edition of State of Affairs. Check us out and, then. We'll ask about and, it. And I like these people personally, just so you know. We're talking policy, not Why is personal. That, but why is that a bad a, idea? Why is it a bad idea to raise taxes? Because haven't you really got a sense of people? They're leaving this state. Businesses don't want to open in this state because they feel as if it's overtaxed. It's too expensive. This is not a complicated factor. This is the reality of New Jersey. You will not be doing this in your act at NJPAC. I can well, tell. it's not funny. Uh, not at all. No. 
How about, we've had several people here talking. We also had the head of a, Jackie Hire, our producer, was at the Cannabis Association. Um, <clears throat> they were talking about, come on, legalizing marijuana. Good idea? Bad. Bad. Well, let me start with the fact Lots that right now, right now, it's a criminal penalty. I've always said no one should have a criminal record for having small amounts of marijuana. I actually defend people in my law office in that regard. So you're arguing so, for decriminalization? Absolutely. We need to decriminalize it. You can have a civil fine at this point. Down the road, down the road, it is possible that recreational marijuana may exist. It's, it's too quick an adjustment right now in New Jersey. We've got to look at that really closely. I, I don't think there's votes for it in the Senate right now. Are there votes in the state legislature to support Governor Murphy's proposal? Strong advocacy, Assemblyman, for raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Is there support for it? Welcome to another bad idea. Well, what's a good, hold on. Do you just, one good idea out of the Murphy administration is? Uh, I think he has a good heart. And I think he cares about people. I said people. policy ideas. Yeah, I have to give that some thought. But I'll answer the question as a minimum wage. I'm going to come up with some the good Murphy ideas. Do um, minimum wage. Well, actually, he's working on New Jersey Transit. And I think... Well, yeah. Uh, and and that's getting really a whole new group of people in there well, and improve the well, transit think, system, I think right? it's a good idea to work on New Jersey Transit. And, and, you, and, and you, excuse me, I'm sorry for interrupting, yeah. but I also know that you think that President Trump is doing the wrong thing by threatening not to fund the Gateway Tunnel which is going to help access in and out of New York and throughout the entire eastern seaboard. The governor's right on that, isn't he? I absolutely agree that Donald Trump has not done some, has done some bad things for New Jersey. He eliminated our property tax deduction. He eliminated our SALT deduction, meaning state, state local and local taxes. taxes. Uh, I want to see him move forward on uh, fully funding or helping us significantly fund a tunnel and transportation project. The tunnel. I'm, I'm happy to talk against Donald Trump when he talks against New Jersey. I have no problem with that. And you remember, I didn't endorse Donald Trump for president. Go back, $15 hour minimum wage. Bad idea. Look, once again, you have to increase the minimum wage. But to go from $8 and change to $15 overnight, bad idea. You have to allow businesses to adjust. And there are many businesses that will simply go automated once you go to $15. Down the road, you slow. That's what I'm talking about, compromise. That's why I'm doing rallies for the reasonable people. Find middle ground. Don't be You're out there doing rallies real quick. 30 seconds left. Describe At these rallies. Rallies, I want people who are in the middle of the political spectrum to get together and talk rationally to each other, not extremists yelling at each other. That's the mistake in Washington. Simon, how is it that all the years you've been in this, you have different views from a whole range of Democrats, but you're still able to have civil conversation. How do you do that? Because it's not personal. It isn't, is it? It's not personal. You were a Democratic assemblyman. I like you. Why do you even bring that up? Well, because I think that's part of your career <laughs> history. And, you know, you've been so successful. <laughs> I figured if I get in the assembly, I could be Steve Adubato someday. You know what? You, you're trying to say that I was in for a ridiculously short one term, then voted out of office. That's what you're really implying, is it not? No, I'm saying that <laughs> you did some great interviews with Chris Christie. I think that's going to be considered one of the greatest interviews in the history of New Jersey Wait television. till you see the interviews with Governor Murphy. Thank you. Oh, I can't wait. By the way, April 7th, NJ Pack. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy. Uh, that's it for this edition of State of Affairs. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Twitter, at Steve Adubato, and I promise we will see you next week. Thank you, funny lawyer, legislator. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. 
Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, the New Jersey Education Association, the Northeast Regional Council of Carpenters, New Jersey Resources, NJ Best, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by NJM Insurance Group. And by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State. And by Employers Association of New Jersey. You may not have heard of TAVR. Raj and Sandia have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open-heart valve replacement. RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery. Because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.